We get the opportunity today to start our second week of our door series. Last week we talked about three doors. And by the time that we, uh, you know, we didn't have all those doors back there. We just had three. And the whole moral of last week's uh, sermon was this. There are doors that are opened in our lives that God wants to help you close. And then there's doors that are closed that God wants to help you open. And I told a real funny story uh, similar to this door right here. Um, We moved after 12 years of living in one place and we moved last year uh, into a new place. I told some of you that last week. And the old house that we had... Michelle wanted a new front door and so uh, one of the companies here locally that donated four or five of those doors right there donated this one as well and uh, Michelle was over at their house and she said I want a door and I'm going to come by your shop and we're going to figure out what I owe and all of that well they got to doing uh, the whole thing and anyway she ended up with a new door and I had the responsibility this is an impact resistant door that means technically uh, according to the specs I can go through a hurricane and a limb or a piece of wood can fly into this door and it's not coming inside And so you can't really see it, but there's wood grain up here. But it's really not wood. And I decided I'm going to be the guy that's going to paint or stain my front door for my wife. And I told you the story of me gel staining it and it taking 17 hours to dry. I didn't factor that in. And so I air conditioned all of Northwest Cape for about 17 hours with my door standing wide open. And so the brother that ended up donating some of the doors here said, Pastor, last time I gave you a free door, it cost you like $1,100, didn't it, for your electric bill? I said, man, it wasn't that much, but yes, it did cost me. And the point of it was when doors are open that are supposed to be closed, valuable things go out. And while that door was open for 17 hours, not only did valuable things go out, but aggravating things were allowed in. I had to deal with flies. I went through my house for 17 hours with fly swatters, one in each hand, trying to kill all those things. Because I don't know what kind of alarm that they got, but they can find a crack in a door or a window, and then they tell all of their friends. I don't even know. I don't go outside and see swarms of flies. I don't know where they live. I don't know if they're flying at a higher altitude or they live in the grass or on the trees. But they just whistle and all of them come and follow into that little crack and they end up in your house. Amen. Amen. So this week I want to talk about not just doors that are open in our lives that need to be closed and doors that are closed that need to be open. But some doors in our life God sets in front of us. And I wish that one door could solve all of our problems. Even when you get saved, you know, isn't it wonderful that God, through the power of transformation through his son, Jesus Christ, would allow us once guilty and bound by sin to celebrate new life and the freedom from our past and all of our mistakes through the price that Jesus paid for us on a cross and his resurrecting power. But do you know that if you are saved or if you haven't yet become saved, I want to encourage you, that doesn't solve everything. And it doesn't, it solves your eternity. But how many of you have had to pray for forgiveness since you got saved? Say amen. Amen. If you are sitting next to somebody that did not say amen, either one of two things, either they are not saved or they lie. One of the two. 
Because everybody, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It tells us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and the will of God for our lives. And all of us have to ask for forgiveness in some stage of our life. So when you got saved, you didn't become perfect. You just celebrated the perfection of Christ. And so some have asked me, Pastor, why do you need all those doors up there in the choir area? Because this is more accurate to what your life looks like is that we go through one door of our lives, let's say getting saved, and it opens up. And then there's all these other opportunities that wait for us. Now, the one thing about God is we have made Him kind of so gracious and merciful that we think that He's waiting on us all the time and that He never judges us or closes a moment. And so we believe sometimes that God is so merciful and grace-driven that a door does not shut. But the Bible is very clear in, Ro in Revelations. And they can put that scripture up. It says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So it tells us that just because God places an opportunity in front of you doesn't mean it's open forever. Some doors close. And that... It bothers us sometimes to know that there are some things that God does not undo. Let me give you a perfect example. See, when this door of opportunity closes, sometimes people start to mourn missed opportunities. So if you could look into their spiritual life, they are facing a closed door crying about what could have been, what used to be, or, or what happened back then, or what they could have been if they would have walked through it. And it's now closed. You think, God, just open the door. Sometimes he doesn't. And the word for you is quit looking backwards and start turning around looking forward to the new door. You say, Pastor, I don't know about your theology here. Let me prove it to you. Okay, when I was 18 years old, I really went through a very rebellious time. So rebellious that my loving parents had to ask me to leave the home. And I was struggling with some things like drugs and alcohol. And other things, and other things, and other things. It was, I wish drugs and alcohol could have cured it, but no, man, I was, I was messed up in here, I was messed up in here, and it just manifested through drugs and alcohol. And now I look back at my life, and I could sit here and mourn what would have or should have or could have been when I was 18 if I'd have lived righteously. What would have been different? Maybe I would have had to experience some of the pain of yesterday. Because maybe if I would have made a wiser decision back there, I could have avoided some things. The problem with this is, is I can't go back and be 18. That door's closed. See, God's sovereign and he might be, he could, he could do anything. Move me back to being 18 years of age, but he's not going to. And he's not going to let you be 18 either. And so some of us are, are, if you could see us spiritually, we're crying over closed doors of our yesterday. What should have been or what could have been or what we would have done or what we would have been. But the problem is you're not going back to that door. So turn around and let's start looking for a new one. And it's those, on those moments that we can turn around and start expecting God. See, I can't do anything about David Pleasant at 18, but I could do a lot about David Pleasant at 50. 
I can participate in what God's doing now instead of mourning what God was doing yesterday and start getting involved with what God is doing. What is God's will for my life? Because these doors, these open doors that we can walk through sometimes represent the will of God. And according to my vocational ministry, it is probably the number one question asked to me as a pastor. What's God's will for me? How can I figure out which doors are God's and which doors are mine and how do I walk through them? Well, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's some key things here in this scripture that we need to take note of. Like number one, how do I understand what God's will is? I wish he would just tell me. Wouldn't you? Has anybody else asked that? Like, God, why don't you just write in the sky today what you want me to do tomorrow and I'll do it. That you wouldn't be able to see it because there'd be seven billion other messages to other people in the sky and yours would get confused with theirs and you'd still be just as lost as you are right now. So I can't give you a scripture that tells you exactly what to do. You know, the Bible is very clear on, on some details in some areas and then very vague on others. You say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? It's pretty clear God does not want you to steal. Can you say amen? That's pretty, you know, anytime the Bible just, you read it and it says, thou shalt not. That usually means that's pretty clear detail. Don't do whatever thou shalt not do, like steal. But you know that there's not a scripture in here that says David Pleasant, Mary Michelle Sexton. But there is scripture in here that tells me how to be a godly husband and a godly man in search of a wife and what to look for in a godly wife. And it, does, it gives me those details, but doesn't give me the details of saying, David Pleasant, marry Michelle Sexton on January 14th. I don't have that here. We had to brainwash her and convince her. <laughs> so... Understanding God's will. I don't have a scripture to tell you every detail of God's will for your life. But I can say this. We're going to read a, a passage of four scriptures in the book of Acts. And I can't tell you the detail for you. But I can tell you four steps that you can find in almost every opportunity that God gives for you to go through a door of his will. And so, Pastor, what are you talking about? Read with me on the screens. Acts chapter 20, 22 through 24. And it says this. And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison or hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. So you ask, what is the first step, Pastor? I've read it, but I still don't understand it. The first path, uh, first step in understanding doorways open to you by God, not by you, but by God, is what is compelling you. He says, the Holy Spirit is compelling me to go to Jerusalem. And that word compel literally means in the Greek to tie one up with ropes and drag you towards something. And you ask yourself, what is God dragging me towards? And if you start to really investigate what you think is compelling you, you say, well, pastor, I don't really know what's compelling me. I, that's, that troubles me more than the situations of what you do wrong. Who wants to coast through life not knowing, 
not being compelled by anything. I want something to move me. I want, some, I want to be attached to something that has a purpose. I don't want to just live 100 years just to say I lived 100 years. I want to live 100 years being alive, doing something with my life. Can somebody say amen? amen. What is driving me? What's pulling me? See, this door opened a while back for a woman named Dawn Wigington. And it changed her. She's our children's pastor now. If you had told me 16 years ago she was going to be our children's pastor, I'd have said, nah, you got the wrong woman. But something changed in her. And we become aware of some things that God started tying her up with ropes. And we didn't understand even the ropes at the time. And it kept dragging her towards something, compelling her to do something that seemed crazy. See, most of you, and make sure you say to her that I preach good about her. But I'm going to tell you the truth about her. Don't mention this part. She was kind of like God had blessed them and she liked the finer things of life. Like her hair dryer. You know that thing? Yeah, hers was like a Ferrari hair dryer. No, literally, the company that makes Ferrari cars made her hair dryer. Yeah, Ferrari hair dryer. I don't want to say how much it cost. And it's kind of hollow coming from a man in my hair condition. Because, I mean, I dry mine with a dry rag. (laughs) It costs me zero. (laughs) So I I can't throw stones. If if I had it, I would love to have a Ferrari hair dryer just to blow it. But this woman goes and starts to... I asked her this week, I said, what made you who you are? What compelled you to do this? She said, I couldn't unsee things that God let me see. All of a sudden, she started seeing children's lives and they started reminding her of hers. See, what you don't know is that when she was not the children's pastor but in charge of the bus ministry, you may not know she was a bus kid and she realizes she would have never got to church without somebody driving a bus. She can't remember her second grade teacher's name, but she can remember the man's name that drove the bus. And then she ends up with this hair dryer and a bunch of other... Um, accessories in a broken down hospital in LA called the Dream Center. And God started letting her see other things she couldn't unsee. And it started to move her. And the woman with the the Porsche hair dryer also was standing in a shower, eighth in line in ankle deep water from water that didn't come from her body. And she said, Pastor, I realized in those showers that I I had to keep doing whatever I was doing to make a difference in kids' lives. And I couldn't wait to get back to Sunset Strip and pick up more trash or go to another neighborhood and do something because God had arrested me by that time and was dragging me towards something. So she gets back to Fort Myers and convinces a group of elders to buy her a bus. And all of a sudden, she starts trying to fill up the bus with kids just like her. And that bus ministry leads to outreach ministry. And that outreach ministry starts to give us an open door for a children's pastor and she wanted us to interview everybody else and I kept asking her are you supposed to be the children's pastor because you tell me the qualifications I'm supposed to look for is the same qualifications I see in you no it's not me (laughs) but the Holy Spirit kept dragging her toward the door and I knew God was doing something when she said wait a minute it may be me (laughs) See, 16 years ago, God started dragging me to Fort Myers with ropes. And you got to remember, I lived in what was paradise to me. 
I'm an outdoors person. I love the outdoors. And I lived in a small country town where everybody knew each other. And I had, get this, I owned an acre and a quarter, three bedroom, two bath brick home with a driveway, building in the back with electricity, fenced. My brother lived across the street. I paid $64,000 for that thing. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, I got here and houses were not $64,000. I come to the real world. I lived, my, the, the church I pastored was five minutes, literally five minutes from the woods. I could be in the woods at 5.30 in the morning, be at the office at 8.30. I could leave at 3, be in the woods at 3.05 and stay there till dark. I fished 45 minutes from where I was raised as a kid in the Gulf of Mexico, world most beautiful beaches, Panama City Beach, crystal clear water, sugar sand. You're talking about being where you feel you fit. And then God says, nope, I'm calling you to Fort Myers. And it wasn't just a casual call. It was wrapping up with ropes and dragging you towards the door. And you thinking, I can't do anything but go. That's what Paul was saying here. I am compelled to go to Jerusalem. The second step you know about God moments is acknowledge the certain uncertainty in your life. When it's God's will and God opening up the door, you don't get all the details as much as you want them. I know people right now praying, I just want to know God's will. And I said, well, how much do you know so far? This, but I'm waiting until I get it all. You're going to be waiting a long time. Because if God ever gives it all, you don't need any faith. He literally says, that this is the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And he says, God is compelling me to go to Jerusalem, but I don't know when I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I do know a couple of things. And I wish God would have told me on January 21st, you're going to be in Jerusalem. But he didn't. He just said, start going. See, we wait for God to tell us what's behind 10 other doors in our life, wanting God to give us the mystery, the answer to the mysteries of our future. When all he's telling you is... Do you see the open door in front of you? As crazy as it sounds, go through it. And if you'll start walking to those other ten doors that will be open to you in your future, I'll direct you to the one that I want to open for you. And all of a sudden, Paul says, I don't even know how I'm going to get there. All I know is this. <clears throat> I don't have all the details, but I got to go. I can't not go. And so he tells his friends in Ephesus, I've got to go to Jerusalem and he packs up and starts on his way. Acknowledge the uncertainty. You ever been in a place where God is wanting to do something, but he, did, he held back a little bit and wanted you to step out by faith? I do that all the time. I told you about the financial situations of Covenant Community Ministries 16 years ago. It prepared me for CityGate. Because here's how it went 16 years ago. They told me, it's a church of 500 people. And it probably was until I come. <laughs> I ran off 200 evidently just by showing up. Because <laughs> when I got there, it was a church of about 300 people. And I started looking at the finances and I didn't understand them. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. At the end, we, we don't have enough money. And I'm coming from a place that is so small that we knew people going through cancer treatments. 
And we, God had blessed us so much financially that we gave the first Sunday offering away to families that exhausted their insurances and needed provision. And we were able to do that. And God provided for us on three Sundays worth of offering. And I come here and it, I looked at it and I said, this doesn't make sense to me. How much do you need to get by? Just cut to the chase. They said about $12,500, I think it was. Was almost thirteen thousand dollars actually, and I said, "How much you take up on an average Sunday? Sixty-five hundred dollars." I said, "Whoa, that don't make no sense." <laughs> yeah, and God says that's where faith comes in. I'm gonna be the mountain mover. See, from July to January, you're gonna struggle. But then there's going to be a man named Bill Wilson that's going to come and there's, he's going to have a need greater than your need. And I want to know, are you going to be prepared at the time that he, I show you somebody that has a greater need than you? Are you willing to, wait, to give away your little security net to, be, for, to make me your security net? And when we come to the point of that doorway moment and I met with those elders and they voted unanimously to give away $25,000. That was in January. On February, it looked like the windows of heaven started to open and God started to pour in finances. And from that day to this day, we still have enough resources to do the work of ministry. We may not have cash laying along the side of the road. We may not have it in bags in, in, the, in, the, in a CD in the bank, but I will tell you this. There has not been a need. We have done more ministry at, on the 16th year than we did on the first year. We spend more money and God still provides a supernatural way to meet our needs because we are willing to keep living that way every single day. Step number three, let me hurry up. Here's the one I want to at least spend five minutes preaching about. Predictable resistance. If you are going through a door, because most people have a skewed opportunity or imagination in their mind about God's will. Like this, this is how your mind tells you. If you do God's will, it will all go great. Let me change your thinking. Write this down. You can tweet it out. If it is God's will at the end, everything may not go great, but it will prove that God is great. Amen. Predictable resistibility. Put yourself in the doorway moment. You are supposed to go. I'm compelling you to go to Jerusalem. But when you go, every little town you stop in along the way, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to meet resistance or you're going to go to prison. That, he didn't have to have faith for that. He knew that. God told him that in Acts. And he went anyway. You say, well, pastor, what are you trying to tell us? If you have a doorway moment that is significant at all in your life, everybody around you, most, more than likely, with some of them, even with good intentions, is going to start out with that open door describing it this way. You can't do that. Nah, you can't do that. That's dangerous. Oh, you can't do that. That'll mess up your comfort. You can't do that. that. Are you crazy? You want me to tell you what crazy is? Two men in Iowa. That's what's crazy. Because Bill Wilson, before Bill Wilson was Bill Wilson Metro Ministries, he was Bill Wilson children's pastor to a pastor named Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett pastored a 1,500 member church in Iowa. And he got compelled to go to First Assembly, Phoenix, Arizona. First assembly was about 50, 40 or 50 people. And so he literally goes in and tells his elders, I'm leaving a 1,500 member church to go to a 40, a 40 or 50 member church because I just can't get away from the compelling of the Holy Spirit. And it don't make any sense. And you know what his family probably told him? 
Are you crazy? They can't pay you there. Your salary is going to be nothing. That's why you got to have some faith. Because today, Phoenix First Assembly is 25,000 people. One of the largest churches in North America. And Pastor Wilson pastors, now pastors the largest Sunday school in the world. Without men being compelled to go to New York and Phoenix, but staying and playing it safe in a little place in Iowa with a bunch of people and a crowd that they could minister to every week, but being control, compelled by the Holy Spirit to have enough faith. God, you tell me you to go to Phoenix. I don't care how many people is there. Long as I know when you get, when I get there, you are there, we can do something great. And he's compelled to keep going through a door that everybody tells him, don't do it. It's dangerous. Sometimes when you go out and step out by faith and you meet resistance, you know you're headed towards the right way because God is opening a door and people don't like to see God do something like that. You think the devil's just going to let you walk through an open door? God says, hey, just come on in. Go save some souls. Go ahead. No, he's going to fight you tooth and nail. Here's the thing that I want to uh, uh, bring to you. Because I, I, this is where I want to... I, I, I love emotion, but I love the power of God's word more than the emotion. But here, I'm really trying to stir your emotions. Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. In one translation, it says Satan stopped us. I wanted to do what God had planned for me, and I, wanted, I tried to do it time and time again. But I kept running into what I felt was a closed door. But sometimes when you read... And, uh, the Bible, you read it in English and you would read hinder us or, ta or, or stopped us. You know what that term really means in the Greek? It's a military term that said that we were traveling down a road and the road is still there, but the enemy dug a ditch in front of the way that we want to go. See, sometimes the doors open, but the enemy sneaks in and digs a ditch and, he, and God's looking at you going, what are you going to do now? And you go and you say, God, cover the ditch up in Jesus' name. And God says, I wrote a psalm about you. It's Psalms 18:29 that said that you could run through a troop and jump over a wall. Why don't you just have the faith not to wait, wait and make sure I cover the, the, the ditch up? Why don't you just believe that there's some supernatural way you'll get through the ditch? So run towards the ditch because the door's on the other side. Never, never, never give up. Sometimes all the devil's got to do is say, you can't do that. Look in another direction and you agree with him. And God's wanting you to think, I cannot lose if he's opening up that door. I will go through it because some open doors will cause you to go through cr critical, painful moments. You may have to jump over the ditch. You may have to crawl through the ditch. You may fall in the ditch, roll down to the bottom of the ditch and claw your way out. But I promise you, if God's put, if God has allowed the enemy to put a ditch in your way there is a way for you to overcome it amen now let's preach I only got one more tune and I only got five more minutes so let's preach this thing I stood over here today 
See, in 25 years, I've had some wonderful experiences, seen miracles happen. I, I've been a part of all of these things, and I've got to see blinded eyes open, and I've been to be able, I've been, had the privilege of preaching to thousands. I've preached at the largest church in the world at the present time that I got invited to ask to preach there. I've preached at small churches, big churches, conferences, camp meetings, you name it, I've preached at it. But I tell you, it's hard pressed for me to think of a more honorable or proud moment than sitting right here today. When I looked up there and one of my sons is playing the drums and the other is playing the, the piano. And, and I got a guy that's playing the bass that hasn't always made the most wise decisions. But what you don't know about that guy is God got him from a place and he has lived a righteous life. What you don't know about him, he can surf and skate. I'm talking about ice skate or roller skate. I'm not talking about in a circle. I'm talking about triple axle jump. <laughs> Landing on one leg and spinning around. Hockey player. Found himself in a situation that was bigger than him. But God. Proud to see that bass player. To see this guy right here on this guitar. We a little strange here. If you're religious, you won't last long here. You just won't. I'm just being honest with you. If you're religious, you need, you need your church fixed, you're probably going to go crazy here. I remember the first song he led at our men's ministry. It was from Leonard Skinner, Simple Man. <laughs> now he's leading praise and worship. Come on now. I got one of my sons in the faith helping me baptize. I've got a young lady playing the piano that is unbelievable. But let me tell you something. I've had to walk through hell and high water and I've had to deal with, I've had to dig down not to quit. And I've had to hold myself in the, my mental capacity to think that I'm going to lose my mind because of being in vocational ministry for 25 years. But when you look and turn around and you see sons and daughters that are, are elders and deacons and, and they are ministers and they preach better than you do. And you look around and you see a man and his family from Alta from where you once sowed seed in infancy and now you see them grown. It is not hard. I'm just telling you. I'm not expecting a thank yous at the end. I'm expecting you to do something with an open door that I went through that cost me something. I've been through some ditches along the way and I've had every opportunity to turn around and go in another direction. But I stayed the course for men and women like you and like you. Because the fourth and final step of knowing a door that God wants you to go through is focused determination. Be determined not to give up. No matter what hits you in the mouth. Get up off the canvas. Well, Pastor, they've already counted to ten. Get up and fight again. Walk towards a new open door. Focused determination. I'm fixing to be very vulnerable with you. This is probably the hardest thing. I'm, I'm okay with not giving up and walking through some ditches. But this one right here almost made me go crazy. Because 16 years ago, I walked through that open door that I was being compelled to walk through in Southwest Florida. 
and I would walk in this door and I would love everybody and run back out the door and try to find the door to North Florida and run in it and try to pastor them too and then I'd run out of it and try to run back into this open door and I would run back over here and try to pastor this church and this open door and I'd run over here and I was about to go crazy. God said, you better get focused or you're going to go crazy. Go over there and shut that door. But God, I love those people and I love that area. It's where I grew up. But that's not where I've compelled you to be. Instead of mourning over a closed door, why don't you look forward and find out the door that's opening to you and quit trying to live in both because that'll make you go crazy. But focus determination. And I remember the last time that I really, I was really, I, I actually went there with bad motives. I actually went there, went there to celebrate and, be, and say, I'm coming home, I'm going to save the day, and I'm going to be your pastor. And the Holy Spirit compelled me and said, you ain't supposed to be the pastor. You're supposed to be the pastor where you are the pastor. I literally got up out of my seat to go tell them I was coming home. And the Holy Spirit spoke on the way and said, don't, don't you do that, you'll, you'll hinder. And at that moment, I went over there to a door that was called Alpha Florida and I closed it. And said, my heart now belongs to Southwest Florida and Fort Myers. And I started living that way and acting that way. And you know what? What was to the amazement when I got focused determination, what, what looked like a closed door to me became an open door for Pastor Alan Nichols to go and pastor. And he could give them their full-time attention. I don't know what open door is in front of your life. But know this. What is it in your life that you got to do before you die? That's probably a door that God's opening. Number two, you can find out that you can have, you're going to always acknowledge there's uncertainty behind a God moment because He always wants you to step out by faith. Number three, there's going to be resistance. Fight it, never give up, go through the ditch, do whatever you got to do. Just keep going through those open doors. And number four, get focused. Close the doors that need to be closed and keep the one that's supposed to be open, open. Now Amy and the worship team is about to lead us in a song and then I'm going to come and lead our altar service.